Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Media for ABWE, joined by Scott Dunford, co-host of the show, Pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California, and joined also by Ian Hamilton, uh, who you uh, already spoke today. At the co- I did. did. Okay. I did. You did, just spoke at the Radius Missiology Conference mm-hmm. uh, here in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's good to have you here. Thank you very much. It's a privilege to be with you. We have a uh, spectrum of listeners from across the evangelical world um, of varying backgrounds, denominational um, affiliations. So can you introduce yourself as far as what are you doing now? What is your ministry? Who's Ian Hamilton? Oh, who is Ian Hamilton? Well, I'm a Scot and thankful to be a Scot by the grace of God. I teach historical theology at Westminster Presbyterian Seminary in the northeast of England. And I'm also the president of the seminary. Prior to that, I was for 17 years pastor in Cambridge, England. And prior to that, I was 20 years a parish minister in the Church of Scotland. I serve on the board of the Banner of Truth Trust and teach at Greenville Presbyterian Seminary in South Carolina. Married to the finest woman in the world, Joan. Four children, six grandchildren, and I enjoy greatly coming to the USA. Well, we're glad to have you here. Thank you. Well, it's good to have you. Appreciate your writing and the way you've been thinking and even just addressing, you know, theological issues and the spiritual life of, of pastors and missionaries. I've heard in the first session and, and in every subsequent session that talking about the importance of character and spiritual development of a missionary. You've written a lot about the private life of, a pa- of pastors. How do you think that relates to, to missionaries, about how their spiritual life is developed? Well, I don't think of missionaries as a special, unique class of people. Uh, they're men and women set apart by God uh, for the service of the kingdom of God. They have the same struggles, hopes, joys, fears, uh, struggles that, that pastors and elders have in local churches. They might have unique struggles, but then again, most have struggles unique to them. Nothing is more vital for ministry than a healthy spiritual life that we give ourselves to time with God, that we don't allow the exigencies of life, the pressures of the moment, the difficulties, the problems and the trials to divert us from what is absolutely vital. And that is day by day spending quality time with God in his word and in prayer. And in prayer especially, I think, remembering that we're called not just to develop a personal, private, spiritual life, Our calling is to bring to God his world in all its desperate need. And one of the things that has most helped and heartened me when I've struggled in prayer, and I think prayer at times is a huge struggle, it was for our Saviour. There's a passage in Isaiah 49, the second servant song, where the Messiah says, my life has been a waste of time. I've labored in vain. 
And I sometimes say to my students, who said that in the Bible? And they never get it. I said, Jesus Christ. And if he hadn't said that, he couldn't have had a true humanity. So my point is that the Savior himself personally experienced dryness, difficulty, struggle. Uh, and what is so vital is that we yet give ourselves to prayer and the Word, recognizing that it is in those fundamental means of grace that God will minister to us in our dryness, in our deadness, in our need. That's how the Savior experienced encouragement morning by morning, third servant song in Isaiah. Morning by morning, he wakens my ear to hear. There were no shortcuts for Christ. He had to give himself to the word and to prayer. And throughout the gospels, how was he able to sustain his ministry? Upheld by the spirit, but through the means of grace, prayer and the ministry of the word. So that is, the, the great struggle is not allowing the pressures of the moment to divert us from the vast necessity of giving ourselves, like the early church in Acts 6, to prayer and the ministry of the Word. I was at the uh, recent Banner of Truth conference in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, and had the privilege of hearing you speak on that very passage in Isaiah 49. And oh, the pastors from our church were, were very challenged and encouraged by that and recognizing it. So that, that teaching has had a big impact in our lives. So we, we're appreciative of that. For the missionary who's struggling under stress, or, or the pastor, who, whoever, but we'll focus on the missionary for the sake of this conversation, what encouragements would you give if they're engaging in you know, the motions of those spiritual disciplines? They're, they're availing themselves of the means of grace, but they're not feeling, they're not sensing that grace. And I, that's one of the things that I've appreciated most about your ministry is that emphasis on not just reformed thinking on a shelf, but experiential theology. The Christian life is natively experiential, but it's like a parabola. There are heights and there are depths. The experiences can be elated. They also can be almost demoralizing. And that's exactly the landscape of our Savior's life. And what has helped me often is remembering that the one who is at the right hand of the majesty on high understands the frailty of my humanity because he entered into the frailty of my humanity. He didn't become a superman. Um, he was without sin, but his humanity was a true humanity. And so in all my struggles in, in, in prayer, especially I, throughout the years, I've there are times when prayer is sweet and delightful, but most of the time, prayer initially is a struggle. And to remember that at the right hand of God, there is one who knows the frailty of our frame, who understands the struggles that we've been through because he's been there. I've stood where you stood. That has been a profound help to me that um, we don't live the Christian life in atomized isolation. We live it in union with Jesus Christ and with a Jesus Christ whose humanity is a true humanity and 
who gently bears with us. Because uh, often Satan comes with what the Bible calls his wiles, his stratagems, his methodia, his, his, his methods. And he says, you know, look at you, you're, you're just a waste of space. And we can look at our own lives and we almost want to say, yeah, absolutely. And then you remember, but I'm united to Jesus Christ. My, my virtue, my value is found in him. And he doesn't cast me off when I'm struggling. He gently bears me up. He, he, he carries me along. He, he will not leave me nor forsake me. So I think for missionaries and pastors, and actually for all Christians, understanding that the Christian life is lived in union with Jesus Christ is the most significant thing because it means ultimately that the, the glory of faith is not its quality, but its object. John Murray uses this language, faith is extrospective. It, um, it looks away from self. Mm. And at the Reformation, the, the reformers used two little Latin words. Uh, my children think I'm always talking Latin. I'm not really, but they used two little Latin words to express the nature of the Christian life. The Christian life is extra nos. It's outside of ourselves. Mm. Um, so experiential Christianity is a Christianity that experiences the whole gamut of Christian experience. I'm always struck by the way Paul in 2 Corinthians can say in chapter 2, we're always being led in Christ's triumphal procession. It's a magnificent image. Always. Now notice always. Two chapters later, he says, we are always bearing in our bodies the dying of Jesus. And these are not sequential. He's not saying some of the time, boy, we're on the heights, and the next time we're in the day. He's saying synchronously, not sequentially, synchronously, we're being led in triumph, but we're bearing in our bodies the dying of Jesus. And it's that synchronicity that is the reality of the Christian life. And it helps me to remember that when I'm going through periods where my devotional life is, is difficult, and the heavens are as brass, and the Word seems less than living and powerful, I need to remember that that is part of the way God is going to increasingly conform me to the likeness of his Son. And that's the nature of the Christian life. And to understand the nature of the Christian life helps us to bear with the exigencies, the trials, the drynesses of the Christian life. So union with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection um, is the, the foundation um, of, of what the Christian life is and how it's expressed devotionally. You, you made a comment earlier that I want to make sure I understand correctly. When I think of the Christian life, I often think of it being internal, worked, worked external. You use the term extra nas to say it's primarily outside. What did you mean by that? Well, 
The reformers are understanding precisely what the New Testament and what the Bible as a whole teaches, is that all my hope lies outside of myself. All my hope rests in Jesus Christ. He is my justification. He is my sanctification. He is my redemption, 1 Corinthians 1.30. So we need to learn to look away in order to find in looking away, there's a reflexive reality comes back to us so that we realize that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and that's wholly located in him is what the Holy Spirit unites us to. So the internal um, quickening ministry of the Holy Spirit is taking the extra nos, that which is outside of ourselves, and bringing it into our lives. Uh, I, I sometimes say it somewhat to shock people, I don't believe in justification by faith. I don't think the Bible teaches it. It teaches that Jesus Christ is my justification, whom I receive by faith. And the danger is you end up preaching the benefits of Christ, the doctrines of Christ, but not Christ. Uh, it's in Christ we're blessed with all the spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1.3. Um, and it's so easy to drift into almost an evangelical moralism. And we, we somehow separate, you know, I was once interviewed, I, w I won't say where, and one of the questions was, um, do you believe in the five points of Calvinism? Well, why didn't we ask that? Um, <laughs> I, Inquiring I, minds want to know. Yeah, I, I, I remember thinking and then saying, I, I find the question demeaning. It's like taking five bones out of a body and yeah. admiring them. Yeah. They might be nice bones, but if you dislocate them from their natural context. Yeah. So if you ask the reformers, what's the heart of biblical Christianity? They wouldn't say justification by grace through faith, which of course is glorious. They would say, God, the Holy Trinity. Mm, yeah. uh, Calvin especially talks about vastly delighting in the early church father's view of the Holy Trinity. And it's simply to say that we, we must understand that Jesus Christ is our life, Colossians 3. He is our life. Um, we're not saved um, by believing in justification by faith. We're saved by Jesus Christ. Um, even more dramatically, the Bible wasn't crucified for me. Now, I believe in verbal inspiration, absolute, but it was Jesus Christ who was crucified for me. Now, the Bible witnesses infallibly, truly, inherently to Jesus Christ, but the danger is we can dislocate Christ from where he belongs. That's one of the things that we spoke earlier with our mutual friend Chad Vegas about here when we interviewed him was, is it possible to idolize missions? Because in the same way that you can abstract justification by faith, or you can abstract scripture, you can abstract missions, and you can make that the central thing. And I think something helpful that I heard you say recently was, similar to your remarks a moment ago, that the Holy Spirit's ministry is to take the entire life of Christ and apply that to the believer as a template, yeah. such that you're experiencing, you know, Paul's first always, you know, always suffering, always always being led in triumph, both of those simultaneously. Uh, because I think so often in the conversation with missionaries that we have or potential missionaries, 
a lot of the thinking becomes, here's where I'm at in my life right now, here's the experiences that I've had, I'm worried about this next step, I'm worried, am I called to go? Um, or maybe I missed my chance to go. And it's all thinking about the individual's life in a very linear fashion and about what cost am I willing to pay or not pay. And for them to realize, you know, just because you've undergone a difficult season doesn't mean that we're entitled to an easy season afterwards or just because you've had a, a season filled with blessing that a hard, you know, difficult season is necessarily on the way. That the, the Christian life is always a mixture of suffering and triumph on some level. It, it is. I, I've been thinking of late quite a lot for different reasons. I've one or two very dear friends who are going through deep, serious illnesses and thinking of how, how unsearchable God's ways are. And two passages keep coming into my mind. 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a glass darkly. You know, when I meet Christians who seem to have answers for everything, I avoid them like the plague. I think, you're living in a different planet from me, pal. Because when I think of Paul at the end of Romans 11, he spent 11 chapters explaining the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And how does he end? Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments. He says, I'm out of my depth. I've, I've explained this gospel as best as I'm able with the Holy Spirit's enabling, but I need to tell you, I'm out of my depth, which is why Every sermon, and I mustn't overstate this, so I'll say it again, every sermon should leave people saying, how great is the God we adore. Because if that isn't where we end, the, the trials, the troubles, the perplexities of life will just floor us. But it's Oh, the depths. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he did his long series for 14 years on Romans, he preached one sermon on the word oh. <laughs> oh. And the next sermon, the depths. And he was making the point that the Christian life is about oh. We don't have answers for everything. We're not Christians because we can explain everything. We're Christians because the Son of God loved us, gave himself for us. And we live at times perplexed, bewildered, crushed, but not forsaken. And we're left at time. I love a phrase Calvin uses somewhere. Better to limp along within the way that leads to life than to run headlong outside of it. And he's recognizing that we're all limping. And what you said is absolutely right. The Holy Spirit takes this template. It's, it's Calvin's language of replication. He takes the template of Christ's holy humanity with all its highs and lows and um, my God, my God, um, my life has been a waste. Um, he takes all of that and in a creaturely analogical way, he looks to etch it in all of our lives, idiosyncratically. Um, and He's conforming us to the image of Christ. I've often used the illustration of uh, David, Michelangelo's great sculpture. He's got this block of marble. How did it end up with this magnet? Because he chipped away at it. Day after day, chipping away, chipping away painfully. And 
That's what the Christian life is. Uh, or to use a, a more common illustration, a famous golf, I think Sinclair Ferguson used this once, a famous golf designer was asked, when you look at a bit of land, what's your thought? I'm going to take everything away that isn't golf course. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. I'm going to take everything away that isn't Jesus. And that means at times he leads us not only into green pastures, but through the valley of the shadow of death. But, I'll, but I'm with you. And that's why the Christian life is, is a tapestry of all kinds of colours. I'm not trying to underplay the heights to which we can rise. And by God's grace, there are times when we're joy unspeakable and full of glory. But you know, a third, not a third, 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of perplexity. 40%, 59 out of 150 are Psalms of bewilderment. And I've often thought, that's very striking. You know, there are Psalms of great elation. But the songbook of the Old Covenant Church, 40%, why? Why, Lord? Why is this that? Why have you left us? Why are you not going out with our armies? I'm in the depths. Where are you? Because as we go through this fallen world, that's the reality of the Christian life. And I think that that's not only the reality of Christian life, it's the reality of missionary life as well. That Absolutely it feeling is. Feeling as though, again, going back to the, the servant songs, feeling as though your life's been wasted on a, on a people group or a group of individuals that aren't listening, that aren't receptive to the gospel. Even the Lord Jesus felt that way, or especially the Lord Jesus felt he did. that way. I, that verse in Isaiah 49, verse 4, isn't it? I think it must be one of the most astonishing verses in the whole Bible. Because I think many Christians think that the humanity and deity of Christ, that when the humanity was struggling, there'd be some sort of pipeline from the deity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. he would then be an admixture and unable to be our saviour. But so the first servant song puts it beautifully. I will put my spirit upon him and I will uphold him. And you think, well, how, how did Christ cope then? in the same way that we are to cope with the grace of his Father and the upholding of the Spirit, the difference being he had no landing ground for Satan. We have. But it's the same pattern that the Heavenly Father uses. Um, so, yeah. The Trinity, yes. So helpful. Love it. No hope without it. None at all. You know, from in um, book one of the Institutes, Book 1, 13, 17, Calvin uh, is talk, writing about the Trinity. He's, he's more Eastern than Western, which is great. It starts with the three. Uh, and he says, these words of Gregory vastly delight me. Now, when Calvin writes vastly delight, you stop, because he's kind of tightly buttoned up Frenchman. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he's quoting three lines from Gregory Nazianzen's baptismal oration on the Trinity. Uh, Chapter 40, section, 30, section 41. And Gregory writes, when I, he's preparing a young man for baptism. When I think of the three, I must think of the one. When I think of the one, I must think of the three. But when I do, my mind is overwhelmed, my heart is filled, I need to stop, turn aside, and with tears worship. 
And Calvin says, that is wonderful. But when I read that, I think, Ian, when were you last overwhelmed by the Holy Trinity? And to my shame, it's been a little time. I preached two weeks ago in a church on a Saturday night on why the Holy Trinity matters for the Christian life. Because it's not just a doctrine we are to acknowledge and confess. It, it touches salvation, it touches mission, it touches worship, mm -hmm. it touches family life. It's the foundational truth of the Christian religion. So. <laughs> I'm drawn to worship the Trinity, so That's right. thank you, brother. Yes. Thank you so much. That was very Deeply helpful. appreciated. Well, for, for those of our listeners, part, part of why we do this is we want to expose people in the missions world where so often theology is kept out of that realm. We want to expose people in that missions world to solid theology, solid Christian thought and reflection. So how can people discover you and what you've written through the years? Well, Google Ian Hamilton. Yeah, How about that? Google I suppose Ian so. Hamilton. You know, I don't say this for effect, and I hope it's not false modesty. I can never go over the wonder that God can use someone like me. Um, I'm a little boy from the east end of Glasgow, brought up in a social housing scheme. Uh, I was converted in my late teens. I had no Christian background. My parents were never in church. Mum was a Roman Catholic. Dad wasn't anything. Didn't own a Bible. Didn't know anyone who went to church. Didn't, didn't know a Christian. Till a boy at school shared the gospel with me. And in the blink of an eye, I find myself studying theology, preparing for the ministry, preaching three times a week, visiting people, being asked to go here and there. And I, I sometimes look at myself in the mirror actually and think, if people only really knew you, they wouldn't invite you anywhere. But you know, God is merciful and he, he purposefully takes the ordinary, the weak, the inconsequential, so that no flesh might glory in his presence. I write a little bit, I write to myself, because I guess most people are just like me. And I think, right, that's what I need to hear. So I preach to myself and I let other people listen. Very good, very good. Well, we're grateful for you. We're grateful yeah. for your well, ministry. Preaching for us today. Yeah. I'm now going to go and hear Alistair, whom yes. I've known for 40 years. Alistair Begg, Sinclair, Ferguson and myself, and Liam Golliker, we were all raised within about three miles of each other, <laughs> and we never knew each other. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much. So can I go? You can. Yes, yes absolutely. Yes. Grateful for you. having you on. Great to we see you. Thank you, brother.